0: And please turn in your copy of God's holy word to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. As you turn there, uh, what uh, I would like to say by way of context is we have been outside of our series on gospel worship, public worship for some time now. And so um, we're going to return to it briefly. And the intention is to add to that series as occasion warrants, as needs arise And today, especially as uh, we have considered the Lord's goodness to us, we consider the need for um, called public worship services to give thanks to God. This is a habit that has been neglected for far too long in the churches. And so today we consider it as a doctrinal and topical sermon. So we're not going to consider this psalm verse by verse. We'll do that, uh, we won't even do that for our Psalm of the Month when it becomes our Psalm of the Month in October. But it'll be more of a topical sermon. But it's good to have the entirety of the psalm read that we would be able to understand its theme. So with that, then, Psalm 107, please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God, and contemned the counsel of the Most High." Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man, like drunken men and are at their wits end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turneth rivers into a wilderness, and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness, For the wickedness of them that dwell therein. He turneth the wilderness into a standing water, and dry ground into water springs. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare a city for habitation, and sow the fields and plant vineyards, which may yield fruits of increase. He blesseth them also, so that they are multiplied greatly, and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. Again they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt upon princes and causeth them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction and maketh him families like a flock. The righteous shall see it and rejoice and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a word that chastens us, that we do not often give to you uh, our thankful hearts. We have hearts that are so unthankful, Father. And so, Father, we pray through the preaching of the word, you would make us a thankful people, that we would give thanks to our great God who has done such great things for our sinners who deserve hell. Oh, Lord, our God, we pray that Christ would be preached up And we pray that in this preaching of the word, you would give your minister the help of your Holy Spirit to do justice to your word, that he would not preach himself, but preach the glories and riches of Christ. And we pray that your presence would be here among the people who would hear, that they too would glorify Christ with one mouth, one voice as one congregation, praising and thanking and extolling the name of the Savior who has done all things well for the sake of his people. And so to that end, Father, we pray that you'd help me speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, tonight we worship in a new place to help us better worship God and to better care for the sheep that he has entrusted us with, that more souls would even come to praise the Lord and to hear the everlasting gospel. And we recognize that the Lord has answered these prayers that we have prayed for over a year in the midst of a market that seemed impossible to procure a place. And so our session will call for a public day of thanksgiving to bless the Lord for it in the month or months ahead. But not just this blessing, but for manifold blessings that the Lord has showered upon us, his people. And such a practice is being lost in Reformed churches today. We often have days of contrition. Our presbytery is calling for a day of fasting, public fasting and repentance this month. And part of the reason why we need to be more often in contrition is that our sinfulness has made it very necessary to be humbled very often. Yet at the same time, people of God, we have so much to thank the Lord for. And we are called to thank him publicly. And we find rarely our church courts and magistrates calling for public days of thanksgiving to thank the Lord as we should. This is really, at the end of it, a grave spiritual problem, and it should trouble us very much, for we often call out to the Lord in our difficulties, sometimes for days, sometimes for months, sometimes for years, but when he delivers us, we find little in our heart to praise him and thank him, and in some way we believe that we are owed these deliverances, that we Really, finally, God, you have done something. And now I will just go about on my way. No, we are called to humbly thank the Lord for every deliverance. And if we are to, as the confession says, repent particularly of particular sins, we are also to thank the Lord particularly for particular deliverances. And we must, when these deliverances are corporate, celebrate corporately not just individually. And so in our series on gospel worship thus far, we have made the case that part of the weak condition of the church today is tied to its views and practice of worship. We wanted to see that historically we're in a bit of an anomaly in the church, that coinciding with the views on worship that have declined, we find a church that is also declined and is very weak. And what I want you to see today is it is no different with public thanksgiving. A lack of thanksgiving describes a lukewarm church. As an aside, I looked at a chart online uh, for the usage of the words in English of thankful and unthankful from the Collins English Dictionary. And after the mid-19th century, it showed that the usage of both words in the English language have plummeted. Plummeted. And it coincides, as we've seen in our series on worship, with the decline of the church that we have considered that arose in the same period where rationalism and atheism has arose in churches, where the miracles of the Bible are being scoffed at in churches, where unbelief is being enshrined in formerly Orthodox seminaries. All of this happens at the same time. And it was no surprise to me to see that the word thankful And the word unthankful, the usage of it has declined as well with the decline of the church. And we live in a time period where the decline in the 19th century of the church still affects us. We are often unaware of it, and our worship is still being affected. All this to say, and that's a historical aside, Christians rarely exercise devotional acts of thanksgiving as we once did. Something the word of God expects of us. And something that the Reformed churches have long seen is necessary. That this is not a duty only for our individual lives, but that God has ordained that nations as nations and churches as churches must publicly thank him for particular deliverances over the course of his providence. This morning, we saw that all providence is in the hands of our blessed Lord and Savior. And so should we not thank him when providence smiles upon us especially when we have prayed to him. And so to the aim that churches and nations may restore the place of public thanksgiving, we consider our need for public services of thanksgiving to acknowledge Christ's mercies. And that'll be our theme. We'll do this under three headings. First is the need, which is our need to be thankful. Second is the ordinance of public thanksgiving. And third is the practice thanksgiving applied. First, the need to be thankful. Now, before we investigate special acts of worship in public thanksgiving, let us more generally see our need to be convicted and to praise God out of a thankful heart. Not once, not twice, but five times the psalm laments, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. That is a lament, isn't it, children of God? A lament that men do not praise God for his goodness. We should lament over this, friends, that our God, deserving of praise for his goodness, instead, what does he receive? He receives enmity. He receives indifference, even from his own people. This is a matter of condemnation in the Bible. You have to see it that way. One of the great sins that will condemn all men outside of Christ is that they never thank the Lord for his blessings towards them. One of the great controversies that the Lord has in Romans 121 against men, one of the great reasons that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven is they glorified him not as God, neither were what? Thankful. Instead of attributing, this is what's going to condemn men. Instead of attributing all of their blessings to the Lord, men attribute their blessings to chance, to luck, or the works of their own hands, that they earned whatever they have and they deserve it. Instead of attributing all things to the benevolence of God. Friends, in your own life, you must constantly recognize the grave sin of unthankfulness thank the lord for all the blessings you have in this life not just salvation in christ but recognize that everything you have every day is a blessing from the lord covid should have taught us that even our very breath is a gift from god so many of us have suffered under the uh, the pestilence and have been unable to breathe even on their own. And we should see then, we take for granted even our very breath. What I am doing now, I am taking for granted often. The fact that I can speak to you. Every breath is an undeserved gift from God you must thank Him for. When did you last thank the Lord for His manifold blessings? When did you last sweetly meditate on all the good gifts? If the Lord again interrogated you right now, could He say to you, could He say to me, wrong, wrong, What are all the things I have blessed you with? Would you be able to answer him? Or would you stammer and stutter? Friends, meditate on your blessings and thank the Lord. No matter what condition you are in, believer, you have something to thank the Lord for. You have more than you deserve. What do we deserve, children of God? We deserve hell. We deserve God's enmity. We deserve God's wrath. And the fact that it doesn't affect us To bless the Lord each and every day that I am not destined to hell as a believer. We should rejoice if we really knew what we were in for, what we deserve. We would be thankful each and every day. That's why the psalm says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You heard, we heard this uh, in our Thanksgiving sermon. But we saw how the apostle lives, right? He lives in view of gratitude that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. This is the greatest matter of praise. And let me say, if you want to fight sin and you want to live for God and not the world, you must cultivate the grace of thankfulness. Why does covetousness arise in the heart? It's when you are unthankful. Why does sinfulness arise in the heart? It's because you are unthankful, friends, and you are chasing something other than your benevolent God who has given you all things. Praise. Why is praise cold and barren? Because you are unthankful. Thankfulness is the fuel for praise and obedience. Don't forget that. Meditate on what you must be thankful for. And as I've already said, for the Christian, your thankfulness begins by praising the Lord for the deliverance Christ has given you. Oh, to meditate on that every day. Every day, child of God. Every day you must wake up and first thing you must say is, why why does a sinner like me get such a great Savior? Why do I have such a great salvation? Totally undeserved. I did nothing to make the Lord love me. Why have I of all people, it should be a thing of marvel to you, that of all the men or women on the earth, I have been given Jesus Christ. Can you not find your day to begin with thanks for that? That God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. That he gave me the faith to believe in the gospel, when even my own kinsmen, in my case, or it's probably in many of your cases, even my own brother or sister or mother or father, why did he pass them over? And why did he give me such a savior? When I could be in their condition. And when I cried out to the Lord in my distress, when I saw my sin and the holiness of God, why did God reach down to me and save me from my distress? Friends, if you have nothing but so great a salvation as this, you should be gripped with psalms of joy and praise in your heart all the day. Verses one and two. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And so we'll dwell on that when we come to this as our psalm of the month. But what I want to draw out here is this is not the only matter where we must give thanks to the Lord. He has given us grace upon grace. And we must thank him for every particular deliverance he has worked for us. He doesn't just save us and then leave us. He continues to be kind to us as we saw in Psalm 104. Four times you hear the refrain here. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distresses. Verses 6, 13, 19 and 28. How many times have you called out to the Lord, beloved? And how often has the Lord been very faithful? to deliver you out of whatever your distresses are. And notice he says, distresses, plural. Not only is it repeated four times, even in each verse, it is plural, distresses. How many distresses? How often do you consider it? How often do you look back at the book of providence for your life and say, the Lord has delivered me here. He has delivered me here. He has delivered me here. When all seemed lost, the Lord has delivered me. It is not only redemption in Christ that we are called to give thanks for. we do that, especially on the Lord's Day, yes, we give thanks for His deliverance. But our psalm provides so many other categories of deliverances. There are seven in the psalm I would like to draw out that show how expansive the Lord's deliverances are to His people. And these seven categories are by no means exhaustive either. You can find others in the Bible, but they are representative. The first deliverance is from exile up to about verse 9. These verses show us that God gathers us from out of our enemies and frees us from our bondage and captivity, just as he did when we were under the Egyptian captivity or the Babylonian captivity. Why is there a church? Why is there a church when her enemies are so great and numerous? It is because the Lord constantly delivers us from our enemies. Think of how Christ delivered us from our enemies throughout church history. What did Martin Luther call the time under the papacy? The Babylonian captivity of the church. We must be thankful the Lord has rescued us from the Pope's dominion. That he restored the word of God and the gospel to its rightful place to his people. As these men said, as Luther and Calvin themselves said, it was not them who did it, but the word, Jesus Christ, who did it all. Today... We anticipate the liberation of the church in other places, in China. At our synod meeting, we saw how our brethren are afflicted under the yoke of China. We anticipate the liberation of the church from the powers of Islam in the Middle East. One day, there will be a great occasion to thank God for such freedom from their captivity. We must pray for it. But when the day comes, the people there must know that they are to give thanks to God publicly and mark out days of thanksgiving. To the Lord for what he has done. The second deliverance is from bondage to slavery, up to verse 16. In some ways, related to the first, but we think of the Lord freeing slaves from bondage throughout history, his people, especially, again, Egypt is a great example of this. Um, Even the magistrate maybe understands this in a way you think of recently, right? Uh, There was an approximation of this maybe in Juneteenth, right? But it misses the important part, which is to give thanks to God. Right? And not just ethnic groups, but God's people as Christians for being Christians are often slaves. You remember Rome once enslaved Christians who were freed when Rome acknowledged Christ as king. Our covenanter forefathers were sold into slavery as well. And Christians throughout the lands today are often slaves. So don't forget our brethren who are in chains as the Bible says. And do not think that this cannot happen and is not happening in the nations. And so we praise God when he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. And perhaps what is most compelling for us and convicting for us is the fact that we can stand here. And we can praise God publicly. And nobody is out there shooting us. Nobody is there to put us in bondage for being Christians. And yet, are we thankful for that? No. You know, friends, it is best to be thankful lest the Lord rob idols from us and causes us to go into bondage and slavery, as has happened so often in the past. Let us be thankful for what he is giving to us. The third deliverance is from bodily sickness up to verse 22. Not just individually, right? But we should rejoice when the Lord often removes his hand of affliction in plagues or pestilences. Think of COVID-19. Should we not give thanks to the Lord for his mercy to us, especially when the pestilence is removed by his hand? Yes, we have fasted and we have prayed when it began almost two years ago. But will we give thanks to the Lord when his hand of mercy is shown? The fourth deliverance is from physical dangers up to verse 31. In the text, our sailors saved from a storm, right? We've considered storms this morning, right? And and we often... See that the Lord delivers us from dangers physically. And you think of the sailors with Jonah, right? When they were delivered, what happened? Did they not become a little congregation of the Lord and praise him for deliverance? Jonah 1.16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. You see, this is what happens or should happen when the Lord delivers us from physical dangers. The fifth deliverance is from the barrenness of the land up to verse 39. You know, you can think of when, um, and this is more common. We have a few here from Southern California. Uh, there are a lot of droughts, right? And uh, we often prayed that the Lord would bring rain to the lands. But should we not thank the Lord when the rain comes? Should we not thank him when we have rain, right? See how we take for granted so many things that the Lord does, right? And that's why if we are unthankful, Friends, if we are his people, the Lord will chasten us and remove those things that we take for granted. Best to be thankful than to find an occasion to plead for the Lord's mercy. And uh, we often forget that the Lord not only sends rain on us who are just, but he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And this is again going to be a matter that condemns the wicked who did not come to the Lord. The sixth deliverance is political in verse 40 when he pours contempt on princes. Now, we consider the course of the Lord's providence, right? We consider this past uh, uh, week or two. You think of the abortion ruling. Who is it that ultimately overturned Roe v. Wade? It is God's providence, isn't it? And there's a strange strain in the church who says we should not celebrate what happened at the Supreme Court because its judges were Roman Catholics and didn't do it for the glory of God. But friends, the Lord often uses pagans to deliver his people. Certainly the court's intention was not to the glory of the triune God. They used the Constitution and not the Bible, first of all. And they didn't outlaw abortion. They just returned the issue to the states. But we have to acknowledge that God is the mover of every providence, as we saw this morning. And to not be thankful when righteous decisions are made is to deny that he is governor of providence. And who is the governor of Providence today after the Ascension? It is the God-man, Jesus Christ, who has all power and authority to execute God's decree. And as you think of this, have not we, his people, cried out to him to stop the blood that flows out of the abortion mill? Yes. So how cold would our hearts be to not give thanks to God, even though it's an imperfect ruling? Yes. But should we not give thanks to God for righteous rulings? even if done improperly. Just as Ahasuerus, you think of this, he did not have the glory of God in mind when he allowed the Jews to defend themselves in Esther. But the Jews would celebrate Purim to mark this deliverance out. Why? Because God did it. They understood that. And he even used a heathen to deliver them. But the glory must go to God and not the Supreme Court. We do not praise the conservatives on the court or the presidents who nominated them. We thank Jesus Christ and pray fervently that through this ruling, right, that more babies would grow up to praise the Lord. And then we have finally the uh, lifting of the poor and desolate in verse 41. And on the topic of babies and, and orphans. Could you imagine a day we might have occasion, pray for this, that one day, Lord, we might thank you, Father, in this nation, that uh, the day might come when adoptions might be free or low cost, or churches would be funded to adopt uh, those that are without families. These are the things that we must be praying for. And then also make an argument with the Lord. One day, Lord, we want to thank you for these things. So would you accomplish these things? You should have arguments like that. Pray for these things and labor for such ends and vow maybe for yourself that when it happens, you will praise God for such great deliverances as these. You know, the day will come, I believe, when nations will care more about widows and orphans than for the supposed rights of perverted sinners and baby murderers. And we must say, Lord, Lord, help us thank you for that day which is coming. And so what the text says is that if you would pay attention to such deliverances through God's providences and attribute them to God that would be a matter of wisdom for you and of a particular kind look at verse 43 whoso is wise and will observe these things even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord and in the Hebrew text it's actually framed as a question like this who is wise Let him observe these things, and they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. The wise Christian, the Christian of great faith, observes all the happenings in the world, all the deliverances that God has worked for his people. And their wisdom enables them to see that God is alive, and he is a living God who is there for his people, and that he is showing forth his attributes of love and mercy. That every good thing that happens to them is from the father of lights. And they become, as the text says, experimental Christians. Who are constantly experiencing the goodness of God constantly. That is wisdom to you, beloved. That is wisdom to your child of God. You know, you're reminded of, we've been reading through Jeremiah. And we will soon get into Lamentations. And Jeremiah, in the midst of the rubble of Jerusalem, could still say this. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. Jeremiah 3:22 through 24. Jeremiah was wise. He observed the loving kindness of God, even as he stood in the rubble of the church. And he would acknowledge the goodness of God. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. The less you attribute mercies, all your mercies to luck or chance, the more thankful you will be. The less you attribute mercies to your own works, the more thankful you will be. Let me ask you to reflect on this. What has the Lord delivered you from, brother? What has he delivered you from, sister? Do you know? Do you know, and are you thankful, are you wise to observe the loving kindness of God towards you? Be wise, beloved. There is a constant outflow of mercy to you and me. There is a constant giving to your needs out of God's bounties. Have you acknowledged them yourself? How often even your prayers before your meal are just sort of rote. Bless this meal, Lord, thank you for it. Without really understanding how much you depend on God. I have mentioned that gratitude fuels praise and obedience, but it also fuels your repentance, friend. What is the goodness of God meant to lead you to? Repentance. You acknowledge the goodness of God and you will repent more often of your sin. You will walk more closely with your God. It is the goodness of God that is meant to lead you to repentance. Look at verse 42. The righteous shall see it and rejoice and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. So, beloved, be in habits of private expressions of thanks. Pray with thanks. Praise the Lord devotionally with psalms of thanks in your personal devotions and family devotions. But the point is here for us today, the nation and church are called to exercise public expressions corporately. And that's what we'll consider in our second heading. And these next two will be a bit more brief. In verses 31 and 32, we read, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Uh, The psalmist shows that the people of God gather and worship together corporately to give thanks for corporate deliverances to praise him corporately and bless him. The exhortation of the 22nd verse is, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. The sacrifice of thanksgiving, that is the language of special worship. You remember Hebrews fourteen fifteen: By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Giving thanks to God in corporate worship is a special act of sacrifice, the Lord says. It is an act of worship. You have to ask this then. And it is something that really convicts me. When did we last sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord corporately? You know, the confession rightly notes that it is not an ordinary, regular diet of our worship, but that thanksgivings upon special occasions which are in their several times and seasons to be used in a holy and religious manner. Chapter 21.5, when was the last time the church did this? When was the last time your church did this, this church? The Bible says we must have special worship services of Thanksgiving. And we ask the question as we investigate, and this is the doctrinal part, who can call for such a day to be celebrated? The answer is, as these are corporate entities, either the magistrate as civil rulers or elders as ecclesiastical rulers for those under their jurisdiction. When you come to civil rulers, you have a great example from the scripture. You have Mordecai, who called for a day of celebration for God's deliverance to the Jews after the Jews were delivered from the machinations of Haman. This became the day of Purim, Esther 9:20 20 through 22. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of the king Azuerus, both nigh and far, to establish this among them, that they should keep the 14th day of the month Adar and the 15th day of the same yearly, as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy and from mourning unto a good day, that they should make uh, them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. This was a civil day of feasting and joy to bless the Lord for deliverance. Not a holy day. You see the distinction here. It's not a holy day. Don't let people say Purim was a holy day. But if our government calls us to celebrate God's deliverance, we should respond when they acknowledge God in it, that is. When they say, let us thank God Almighty that he has delivered us from this or that or for our nation's bounties and its blessings, we should respond as the church and worship God when the magistrate rightly does that. In addition, church courts can call for a day of celebration because it is unlikely in this nation you're going to find very many godly calls for Thanksgiving today. Psalm 107.32, you see it here, where the congregation is called to praise him in the assembly of the elders. And so civil magistrates like presidents and congress uh, can call people to give thanks to God. Or ecclesiastical courts, synods, presbyteries, or sessions can call its own people in its jurisdiction to give thanks to God to recognize and give thanks, not generally, but for particular deliverances granted by the Almighty. Now, obviously, when the church calls for this, it is a bit more limited than the magistrate. It cannot call, this church cannot call the businesses in in this town to shut down, but the magistrate sure can, as they will on 4th of July, can't they? And so the church is a little bit more uh, limited in its power, but what we have to see is we have gotten into the habit of trusting the magistrate to call us to praise God and give him thanks. Um, And so the question is, if the magistrate won't, if they won't recognize, for instance, that COVID-19, when it is abated, is God's mercy to us, should we not celebrate as the church? We must. Uh, I read a treatise this last week from an 18th century a minister on days of thanksgiving where he lamented that the church of scotland waited on the magistrate to celebrate public days of thanksgiving and would never do it herself unprovoked that showed her erastian tendencies that resulted in secessions and disruptions waiting on the magistrate without taking the initiative herself if the magistrate will not acknowledge the mercies of god the church must now in the establishment of such days as i've said we must be careful These are not holy days. Only God can declare and designate a day to be holy. And the New Covenant, boys and girls, you remember, there is one day declared holy, the weekly Sabbath day. And days of thanksgiving are no warrant for churches to establish Christmas or Easter observance because those things are not found in the Word of God. And yet many ask, why can you have a day of thanksgiving? What distinguishes these things? Well, first, days of thanksgiving recognize providences outside of redemptive history to give thanks for. You know, the matters in the Bible, the incarnation, the resurrection, the ascension, they're all celebrated on the weekly holy day of the Lord, the Lord's day. But we are called to respond to events in the course of providence, which are not redemptive per se in nature. Answers to particular prayers, acknowledgments of present mercies just like Purim not a holy day but a civil day for celebrating mercies they are very much like and I'm very thankful for all the deficiencies in our nation for the 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 history of our nation because we are the inheritors uh, and we should have been more so faithful of reformed theology at the founding of this nation you think of the American Thanksgiving day when the magistrate called Uh, us to give thanks to God for his temporal mercies to us. And sadly, the days of thanksgiving after the Constitution were ratified are less explicit in our need to give praise to Christ than the earlier ones when the Continental Congress called us. It's illuminating to see how this doctrine was applied in the United States. The Continental Congress on November 1st, 1777, proclaimed this. For as much as it is the indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence of Almighty God, to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to Him for benefits received and to implore such farther blessings as they stand in need of. And it having pleased Him in His abundant mercy, not only to continue to us the innumerable bounties of His common providence, but also to smile upon us in the prosecution of a just and necessary war for the defense and establishment of our unalienable rights and liberties, particularly in that he hath been pleased in so great a measure to prosper the means used for the support of our troops and to crown our arms with most signal success. Now I'll pause there. You see, the Continental Congress was recognizing the deliverance of the nation in the prosecution of a war, but also of innumerable bounties. I don't... It is sad that here are civil magistrates who seem to know more theology than many churches today. And so they called for December 18th, and listen to this, to be set apart for solemn thanksgiving and praise, that at one time and with one voice the good people may express the grateful feelings of their hearts and consecrate themselves to the service of their divine benefactor. And that together with their sincere acknowledgments and offerings, they may join the penitent confession of their manifold sins, whereby they had forfeited every favor, and their humble and earnest supplication that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ mercifully to forgive and blot them out of remembrance. How far we have fallen, friends. How far we have fallen. That at one time and with one voice, the magistrate said, let us clear all our business to praise the Lord through the merits of Jesus Christ. That we would confess our sins to God and we would praise him with thanks. And look at the magistrate today. It's a shocking, perverse thing. It continues. And they write that to the end that it might please God to prosper. Listen to this. The means of religion for the promotion and enlargement of that kingdom which consisteth in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And it further recommended that servile labor and such recreation as though at other times innocent may be unbecoming the purpose of this appointment be omitted on so solemn an occasion. This is the impact of the reformed faith on this nation before its founding. They understood that we are not appointing a holy day but a day to celebrate special providence. And friends, pray for this, that when the churches are revived and the gospel is poured out by the Spirit of the Lord, we anticipate the magistrate doing such things again with even fuller knowledge of Christ. In many ways, our nation is living off the residue of God's mercy to our forefathers who would say such things, who consecrated themselves to the Lord Even though their progeny, by and large, even in the Constitution, found it in their heart to deny him. That's a topic for another time. But for us, as a church, we must take time to celebrate particular deliverances to us. And so we will, I pray, have days of special thanksgiving to celebrate what the Lord has done for this body. Not a solemn holy day like those in the Old Testament. It will not be like the Sabbath, and it won't be on the Sabbath day. It should not be, lest we confuse what we are doing. So, having understood the duty to be thankful and the ordinance of public Thanksgiving, let us apply it in brief in the practice applied Thanksgiving. So, what do these days of Thanksgiving look like? For they are so alien to us. As Reformed Presbyterians, we have the original directory of public worship, which gives some helpful guidelines. Uh, They utilize the elements of worship, And they fit it to circumstances suited for society. So I'm going to use that directory as an example of what a day of Thanksgiving might be like. And I will defend each portion from the word of God. The first is to recognize that as in Esther 9, days of Thanksgiving are days of gladness. Gladness. Of feasting and not of fasting. They are the opposite of days of contrition. I covered that in our sermon on public fast days. Won't go there again. But these are days of gladness and celebration of the Lord. Again, our American Thanksgiving practice is in debt to the Reformed faith. And so you see what a day can be like civilly. But what is missing in our yearly Thanksgiving are occasions of public worship to go with it. The directory envisions morning and evening worship with celebration civilly in between. Now, I'm going to focus on the elements found in the worship service, but you can read the directory for how the rest of the day is celebrated. Now, the first thing we have to do is prepare to celebrate a day of thanksgiving. All things in the worship of God require preparation. We must remind our soul, right? Oh, soul, as we saw in Psalm 103 and 104, what are the things that we must be thankful to the Lord for? This is a good daily meditation, but especially on a day of public thanksgiving. And then in the public meeting, the minister should remind the people why they came. Let him then make some pithy narration of the deliverance obtained or mercy received or of whatever hath occasioned that assembling of the congregation that all may better understand it or be minded of it and more affected with it. We need to recite what the Lord has done for us. This is a rare practice. You notice in the RPCNA, uh, you've probably heard it when you came to my installation service. When a man is ordained or a church is established, To remind us that God has done this, we recite the steps that led to this being done. But that's from Psalm 77, 11 through 12. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You know, as you go to the sanctuary, in other words, you're to be reminded of all the works of God, all of them. And you are to remember works of providence and why you are to be thankful as you enter worship. That your hearts would be enlarged as God calls you and you enter the heavenly sanctuary. The directory also says, have lots of psalm singing. More than you would normally have in a worship service. James 5.13, is anyone cheerful? Let him what? Sing psalms. Are you cheerful today, beloved? Sing psalms. Don't neglect it don't sing a ditty, you know, not saying you can't, don't sing a ditty from the world, but how about you better take up a psalm of praise when you are cheerful and so humming some melody that the world has come up with. How about you sing wonderful psalms of praise, even this one, 107. Hebrews thirteen fifteen reminded us the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips is how we give thanks to his name. And the directory says it this way so wonderfully. Singing of Psalms is of all other the most proper ordinance for expressing of joy and thanksgiving. Then there must be a sermon. For out of the word, God shows us how to be thankful. And so the word will be preached. That we would recognize from God's word that he is the author of every providence. Think of Psalm 104. We must hear such things as every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James 1.17. You have to hear these things. You have to hear them from God. And so there is a sermon preached. And of course, there's prayer in such services. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, Philippians four six. This is, again, if you have anything you desire from God, spiritual, physical, you are to bring your supplications with thanksgiving. Often, the Lord doesn't hear us because we are not thankful, and we must be thankful. In other words, think of it this way. Think of it this way. If we give your child all the things that they need, right? Right? And they never acknowledge you. Why would you feel like giving them anything more? Be grateful. How often do we say that to our children? How often have we been told that by others? Be grateful for what you have. So you need to be thankful. And as usual, God's people are dismissed with a solemn blessing pronounced from the word showing God's face truly does shine on us as we are reminded of it on a day of thanksgiving. And the directory says that the minister is to exhort the people to know this is not a day of carnal revelry, but revelry in the Lord as they're dismissed to go and feast. You know, sadly, our days of thanksgiving in this nation, we see that mirth often turns to drunkenness and feasting often turns to gluttony. We can pervert our thankfulness into sinful gratification of the flesh. But after worship, the directory says this is a day, as in Purim, to enjoy the Lord's bounty and celebrate. Go and enjoy yourself in the Lord and feast. The directory also encourages, and this comes out of Esther 9, a collection to be undertaken on the day. You notice in Esther 9.22 when I read it, sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. Why? Because the poor have a hard time feasting and rejoicing like we do. And often we're not cognizant of it. You know, when when they do have an occasion to give thanks to the Lord, how often do the poor, how can they enjoy a nice meal by which to express thanks? Their portions are often more meager. And what a God we have that he cares about the poor, and he cares that they enjoy a day where they, they can give thanks to God and have something to rejoice in. And for believers, it should be very hard for our hearts to rejoice when we know that the poor are not able to rejoice as we are. That is why You see, in our national Thanksgiving days, many churches are concerned for the poor and feed them, and we must be concerned that they can celebrate the goodness of God and hear of a Savior who came for the poor and the needy. Well, when this nation or any nation is revived or converted, I believe these practices will return. But until then, the faithful in a land have the duty to publicly acknowledge Christ's mercies. So, beloved, let us resolve to ever be thankful to the Lord for all his mercies to us, especially, especially for Christ and his cross, the covenant of grace and so great a salvation. But let us never forget, we serve a living God who never changes and is ever merciful. What did we hear this morning? That if God did not spare his own son, how will he not with us, with him, give us all things? We have to acknowledge that, friends that he has given us so much more than we deserved. He has given us great mercies and he expects us to recognize them as his doing, not ours, and worship him for it. And if any will be charged with, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men, let us resolve it will not be us. Friends, let it not be us. Let us be those who glorify God and are thankful. And let us then prepare for days of thanksgiving and pray our magistrate would give thanks to God as well. Amen. Let us arise and pray for the Spirit's help. Oh, our Father in heaven, how guilty we stand before you, Father, A people who by and large are very unthankful, though we have so much. We have so much to bless you for. Even the least of all saints here has so much to be thankful for, for the least of all saints has Jesus. And so, Father, help us to meditate on the unsearchable riches of Christ that we have. Help us to not be covetous. Help us not to be discontent. Help us instead to be thankful and bless your name every day. For you have not only given us Jesus out of his cross and his work, you have given us all things to enjoy. So help us to be thankful, and Father, deliver your people when they call. Help us do it out of a heart of thanks, or help us respond out of a heart of thanks when you do it. We thank you and bless you for all the mercies to this congregation, and we confess before you that our sin is we are very often unthankful. Oh, we think of so many who are calling out for a biblical church in different parts of the nation and in other countries, and we consider what we have here, and uh, we are often unthankful, Father. Forgive us our sins and make us a people who are thankful that we would praise you for all that we have. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us pray.